The Bible describes the world as a very dark place. But you don't really need a Bible to know that, do you? All you need is a television or a smartphone. Or really, all you need is to have been alive for more than five minutes. And you know that we are people walking in darkness. And we are afraid of the dark. We're afraid. We're afraid of cancer. Afraid of divorce. Afraid of school shootings. Afraid of job layoffs. Afraid of car accidents. And ultimately, we are afraid of death. Afraid of our own death and the death of the people and the things that are so important to us. We are afraid of the dark. And the reason that we have so many things to be afraid of is because of sin. Sin against neighbor and creator is the cause of the fear and the darkness. And you know, it's so easy to turn on the TV or scroll on your phone and point the finger at all the evil people we see there. But the reality is, and what Jesus tried so hard to teach us, is that we are all contributors to the darkness, all of us. Each of us has added our own poison to the well we're all drinking from. Each lie is added. Every lustful thought is added. Every racist look is added. Every self-righteous judgment, each word of gossip, every selfish motive. And the world has come to reflect what is in us all. It's dark. It's very dark. Because of our sin and our darkness, we are infinitely separated from our good God. And we have absolutely no chance of ever finding our way back to Him. We are dark-hearted people walking in a dark-filled world. But, it's Advent. And that means a light has dawned. God has given us a radiant light in our darkness. And He gave a radical word of hope to His prophet, Isaiah, which should fill our hearts with light and hope this morning. Let us go there together to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. If you have your Bible, you can go there now. If you don't have a Bible, it's not a problem. The verses will be on the screen behind me. The prophet Isaiah writing in chapter 9, and we're going to look at verses 2 through 6. 2 through 6. Chapter 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. <laughs> and those living in the land of deep darkness, and on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light 
has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is God's word. So, clearly, we are blind people walking in darkness. It's not a good combination, is it? <laughs> blind people walking in darkness, and that's a sad, sad reality. But what's even sadder than that is that we don't realize it. We have no idea that this is happening, you see. We are convinced that we can see. We are convinced that we are the light. We are the light that can solve all the darkness. We can do it. We can fix things. That's what we're convinced of. You know, if only we can elect the right people, we can fix it. If only science will advance just a little more, we can fix it. If we can just banish religion a little further outward to the outskirts of society, then we can fix things. Then we can have light in our darkness. Then we can cure what ails us. There was an article some years ago on Christmas Day. And here's what the, uh, the article said in the New York Times. It said, quote, the meaning of Christmas is that love will triumph and that we will be able to put together a world of unity and peace, end quote. <laughs> In other words, we are the light. We have the light within us. And we are the ones who can dispel the darkness in the world. We can, with our glorious light, overcome poverty, injustice, violence, and evil. We can do it. But can we? Can we? Pardon me for being skeptical that we can. In fact, I'm more than skeptical. <laughs> Not only do I think the New York Times article is wrong, I think the exact opposite is true. Exactly the opposite is true. Humanity cannot and will not save itself. In fact, if history has shown us anything, it's that the belief that we can save ourselves has always and only led to more problems, more oppressors, more bondage. 
more darkness. And you know what? There was one honest secular fella out there. There's not many. <laughs> but there was one honest atheist fella. Dr. Bertrand Russell, the very famous atheist philosopher. And he knew full well what his worldview, his godless worldview entailed. He knew what it entailed. He was extremely honest about it. And here's what he said. Dr. Russell writes this. He says, quote, But even more purposeless, more void of meaning, is the world which science presents for our belief. That man is the product of causes which had no provision of the end they were achieving. That his origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves and beliefs are but the outcome of accidental collocations of atoms. That no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave. That all the labors of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system. And the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. End quote. Now, that is a dark view if there ever was one. But it's a correct view if there is no God. It's a correct view. Humans are nothing but the accidental byproducts of evolution. We are universe bacteria. That is what we are. We are universe bacteria eking out an existence on an infinitesimally small speck of universe dust called Earth. We are nothing. We're nothing. <laughs> we have no purpose, no meaning, no future. And the only thing we have to look forward to is more darkness and the eventual heat death of the universe pretty dark view but if there is a god if there is a holy creator well then things are even more dark <laughs> we're in even bigger trouble than dr russell explains we're in even deeper darkness why is that well the reason we're in deeper darkness is because we have, with our every breath, rebelled against our Creator. We have sinned against Him and His goodwill for us. We have decided to be our own gods. And since the moment the doctor slapped our fannies, we have been at war with our Creator. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 3. Paul writes, None is righteous. No, not one. 
No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have all gone wrong. No one does good, not even one. Not even one. So, what possible hope could we have? If Dr. Russell's worldview is, what, is all that there is, we have no hope. But it doesn't seem like the Apostle Paul is offering us much more hope here. Things are even more dire <laughs> in, in Paul's worldview, right? What hope could we possibly have with all the darkness that is in us and surrounds us? Well, we only have one and only one hope. Our one and only hope is that Isaiah was right. It's our only hope. That a great light has come to us. But how is this? How does God bring light to people like us who have contributed to so much darkness in the world? Here's how he does it. Look at verse 6. Verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. You see, this great light of hope, this great light of redemption is a baby. It's a human baby. And this child of light will bring radiance and beauty and color to this dark world and our dark hearts. It will not come from within us. It will come from Him. But how is it possible for a child, a human child, to do this? Well, it's because of who the child is. Who is the child? Let's finish verse 6. Let's finish it. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The four titles applied here to the baby can only apply to a divine person. A divine person. You see, friends, the baby boy in the manger is the Almighty God. He is the creator of all things. He is the great I Am. Now, there is absolutely nothing like this claim in any other religion. Nothing remotely close to this. This is a shocking and blasphemous claim that God could become a human baby. It's ridiculous. It's insulting to say such a thing. But that is exactly what Christians say. And that is exactly what we celebrate on Christmas. And you know, it's almost too limiting to say that we celebrate this truth at Christmas. The word celebrate actually isn't quite strong enough to describe our situation. You see, because Christians understand a shocking 
truth. We understand the truth of two tiny little words repeated twice in this verse. Did you catch them? Let's read them in verse 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. (laughs) Now this is amazing. This child is not born for God. He's not born for the angels. No, he is born for us. For us. The people who are the cause of the darkness in the world. He is born for us. He is born to wipe away our tears, to vanquish our enemies, to release our burdens, to ease our fears, to fill our hearts with joy and rest forever. Can you believe it? (laughs) He came for us, sinners and rebels like me. Sinners and rebels like you. And so, no, at Christmas, we don't celebrate. No, we don't celebrate. In reality, we kneel dumbstruck before the baby in the manger. We lose ourselves in wonder, joy, and worship. For our God has come for us. Now, let's just think about some of the incredible implications of that. Incredible. You might be sitting here this morning, you might be a skeptic of Christianity. You might not know about all this. You might have a lot of questions and doubts. And that's okay. I get it. I used to be a skeptic myself. No problem. But here's what I'll say to you this morning. If there is even a tiny chance... A tiny chance that Jesus really is who Isaiah tells us he is. Oh, then you should dive head first into exploring this baby and this person further. You should jump in head first into exploring Christianity. Why? Well, a lot of reasons, but this is a really cool one. (laughs) This is really neat when you think about it. So when you're going through a trial... You're suffering, your life is is filled with tragedy and pain. Who do you seek out for counsel? Who do you go to? You know who you go to. What you do is you try to find someone who has walked in your shoes, right? You want to find somebody who's been through that, right? So if you have... Lost a child, you want to talk to someone who has lost a child. If you're going through a divorce, you want to talk through some, to someone who has had a divorce, etc., etc., right? I mean, that's what we all do. But don't you see what Christmas tells us? <laughs> don't you see? If it's true that the Creator God is who was lying in that manger... 
then Christianity has something that no other religion and no other worldview has. We have a God who has walked in our shoes. A God, uh, not a prophet, not a preacher, not a religious leader, a God who has walked in our shoes. There is no other religion that says God suffered, that God had to be courageous, that God knows what it is like to be abandoned by friends, to be crushed by injustice, to be tortured, to suffer, to die. It's only Christianity that has a God like that. Christmas proves that God knows intimately what you're going through. And when you talk to him, when you go to him, he knows. He understands you because he has walked in those shoes. The famous author, Dorothy Sayers, she wrote this about Christmas and the life of Christ. I love this. Here's what she says. She says, quote, The incarnation means that for whatever reason God chose to let us fall, to suffer, to be subject to sorrows and death, He has nonetheless had the honesty and the courage to take His own medicine. He himself has gone through the whole of human experience. From the trivial irritations of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain, humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born in poverty and suffered infinite pain all for us. And thought it well worth his while. End quote. Well worth his while. And you know, in our, our text this morning, Isaiah calls Jesus the wonderful counselor. Do you see how wonderful of a counselor he is? <laughs> you go to this counselor, and he knows. He knows what you're going through. This counselor has walked in your shoes. And you know what's really neat is in Hebrew, the word wonderful can be translated beautiful. That's pretty cool. He is our beautiful counselor. Perhaps now you're getting a glimpse of just how beautiful he is. You see, Christ had the infinitely high position as Almighty God, commander of angel armies. And yet, for you and for me, He laid aside His infinitely high position and instead took the infinitely low position, becoming a single human cell inside the womb of a poor 
virgin. Can you believe this? He is so beautiful. A beautiful counselor, indeed. He became one of us. He immersed himself in our dark condition in order to know us, to really know us, to experience our sin and our wickedness and our darkness, and ultimately to vanquish our darkness with his light. beautiful counselor he is he is and you know when you find something in this life that is beautiful you know that just takes your breath away what do you do you actually just do nothing (laughs) you do nothing like when you find something like a sunset over the ocean what do you do You just have a seat in the sand and you just stare. (laughs) You just stare. You don't do anything. That's kind of the whole point. You just gaze at the beauty. You just let it wash over you, don't you? The beauty is an end in itself. It's not getting you to something else. It's not there to provide you with anything else. It's there as an end in itself. And my friends, that's what we celebrate. That's what we do on Christmas. We do nothing. We just gaze at the beauty of the baby in the manger. And the reason we worship, the reason we gather here together and sing and we raise our hands is not because he can provide something for us. Oh, no. It's not because he's useful to us in this way or that way. Oh, no. No. It's not because he can meet our very specific needs. Oh, no. No. We don't Worship Jesus because he's useful. We worship Jesus because he's beautiful. He's the most beautiful thing we've ever seen. He's the most glorious light we have ever seen. And so we just come. (laughs) We just come together on Sunday morning and on Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day and we gather and we sing and we worship, and we exchange presents, and we laugh, and we eat. Because he is so beautiful. He is our beautiful, beautiful counselor. And there's nothing to do before him. There's nothing to do but behold his beauty. You might be sitting there now at this point, And saying to yourself, "Uh, this sounds pretty great. (laughs) Uh, My life is really dark right now. My situations are dark. My heart is pretty dark. 
The sins have piled up. The failures have piled up. The difficulties have piled up. I don't have much light right now. How can I get some light? Well, Isaiah has the answer for you. He has it. Look at what he says in verse 6. Did you notice? Notice, he doesn't say, for to us a child is born, period. No. He says, for us a child is born, comma. To us a son is given. He's given. And so you ask the question, what do I got to do to get some light in my life? You have to do Nothing. <laughs> this light is a free gift. It's a gift. He is a free gift. You say, yeah, but my, you don't understand. I have blown it. In a spectacular fashion. I am eyeball deep in my own failures and sins and mistakes. The baby is not something that you earn. He's not. He is not something you have to strive for. He is not something you have to work for. He is pure gift. Pure gift. You have done nothing to earn him. You have done nothing to deserve him. And neither have I. And yet the Father gives him to us anyway. <laughs> he is pure gift, my friends. Verses 4 and 5 explain this. Let's look at them. Verses 4 and 5. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. The bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. <laughs> I wish y'all could see how amazing what Isaiah just said is. <laughs> what is it that burdens us? What is it? We've been through a few. You know, sin burdens us. Our own failures burden us. Life around us burdens us. The darkness of life and, of course, the darkness of death burdens us. But there's another burden implied here that the baby will free us from. And it is the heaviest of all. The heaviest of all burdens. You see, every other religion on the earth and even some sad forms of Christianity are all based on works, your moral performance. I mean, even atheism is based on that. To get ahead in life, you got to work. You got to earn it. You got to pull yourself up by your moral bootstraps. Follow all the rules. And then, and only then, will you attain heaven or enlightenment or 
whatever goals you had in life, right? It's, it's all the same <laughs> from atheism to Islam to Buddhism, on and on. It's all the same. The premise is always the same. In order to get what you want, you must do X, Y, and Z. Fill in the blank. In order to get to God, you must climb, climb, climb the ladder. Strap up them work boots, baby. And you got to fight. You got to fight hard to climb, to climb, to climb, to climb, to climb. But folks, you know and I know this is a burden that no one can actually carry. This is a ladder that actually no one can climb. But do you see what Isaiah is saying here? <laughs> Isaiah is saying, oh no, oh no. You're not getting up to God. You could never. <laughs> oh no. You're not getting up to God. God is coming down to you. You're not climbing the ladder up. Mm -mm. He is climbing the ladder down. All the way down to a lowly manger in Bethlehem. A child is coming. <laughs> and because of the child... Because of this gift that is given, you can throw your work boots in the fire. <laughs> and he just said that. Isaiah just said it. Right? All this striving you've been doing, all of this fighting you've been doing all of your life to try to earn your way forward with your neighbors and with your God. All this fighting. What does he say in verse 5? <laughs> He said, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning when the child comes. When the child comes, you throw those work boots in the fire. Your working is over. <laughs> it's over. The child who is coming will do all of your working for you. He will do all of your striving for you. He will do all of your fighting for you in your place. <laughs> My friends, the great hope of Christmas is that a light has been born in our darkness. A savior has been born to smash to bits the driving rods of our oppressors forever and ever. That's the promise of Christmas. Our king has come for us to forever remove all of our heavy burdens. <laughs> oh, man. He is our salvation. He is our light. He is our champion. But what exactly would that look like? Like, how would he do this? How would he fight for us? How would he win the victory? Isaiah tells us that too. He does. In chapter 53 of this book, Isaiah writes about our champion. And here is what he says. Isaiah says, He 
was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. You see, my friends, the child was not born to be our example. He was born to be our substitute, to take our place. He said so himself in Mark chapter 10. He himself said this. He said, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so, at the cross of Calvary, history's most beautiful and brilliant light was snuffed out for us, for us. It's the entire reason the light came in the first place. The light came in order to be snuffed out so our lights would never have to go out. So that our light could burn forever. That baby in the manger was born to take your place. To suffer what you should have suffered. To endure the wrath for your iniquities. For your sins in your place. Jesus was born to enter the darkness of hell itself so that we could enter his kingdom of light and enjoy it forever and ever and ever. That, folks, is what Christmas is all about. The hymn writer puts it like this. He says, My light and my salvation, O Lord of life, art thou. Accept my consecration. To thee I pay my vow. Thou art the king of glory. Thy love hath set me free. O sweet and blessed story. The Savior died for me.